Hello there. Welcome to the Flicks and Scoops podcast. I'm Ash and I'm mixing together films and ice cream so you can pump it directly into your head. Each guest picks a film, I make an ice cream inspired by the film and then we eat the ice cream and natter about the film all on record. Up this week we have the environmental gorilla Emma Patmore. You know, like Garilla. She's not Harambe. She took time out of her busy Green Tech Alliance schedule to join me in eating some horrible ice cream and talking about Ari Aster's Midsummer. As is customary with Flicks and Scoops tradition, here's a spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Midsummer and would like to check it out before listening to this one, then I think that'd be a smart move, Buster. And even if you have seen it before, watch it again, or I'll get Gal Gadot and her pals to wreck another cherished song. Now, without further ado, let the episode 10 festivities begin. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. All right, Flicks and Scoops, joined today by a mentalist of the Environ variety. (laughs) An environmentalist, alas, who's... Bonnier than a bottle of book fast. Please, please welcome Emma Patmore. Hello. <laughs> How you doing? You good? Yeah, I'm great. Nice. Have you been dealing with the new normal? Um, yeah, taking it in my stride. You know, feeling normal. <laughs> as, and you? as normal as you can be. Yeah. Uh, I was made to work from home and bed, so. Rubbish. <laughs> Pajamas all the time. Terrible. Yeah, right. Do you hate being locked up? Um, I actually get quite into it. It's really weird. I really am like a big uh, people person and like usually really like to be around folk all the time. But but like going into lockdown, realised that I actually quite like hanging out with myself, which is good. And touching faces. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we had to postpone this last time because there was a... There's a Rona scare. Yeah. In the, <laughs> um, and then I nearly had to postpone the second time because we had a Corona crisis in our in our flat. We thought that one of us might have it. So luckily we didn't. So we only had to have the red cross on the door for two or three days or whatever. <laughs> but it's so weird. Like um, when you have to tell people that you think you might, oh, I might have Corona or something. It's like ringing people telling you've got, herpes of the face or something like, <laughs> so so bad exactly it's so weird it's such a weird like shame thing around it as well because people like i don't know people people say it in a kind of in a way where it feels like you should be ashamed of it but then everyone's kind of doing exactly the same things like the same same behaviors so yeah it's really it's, it's a bit of a, of a strange thing to kind of like dodge around and then when you do tell people that maybe you've got it then they kind of message you quite a lot in the next days asking if you've got results, which is completely fair. But it also gets a bit stressful. Show the same amount of concern always, please, <laughs> for, my, <laughs> yeah, for, my, for my well-being. Yeah. Well, yeah, why don't you text me every day asking me I am? <laughs> uh, but then you uh, you went home, right, after, like you managed to get home. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I had a, a corona scare, which... Um, was thankfully resolved a few hours before my flight back to Scotland, so that was good. And then how was it back at home? Uh, different, very different. Like at that point, Berlin had essentially forgotten about anything, <laughs> anything uh, out of the ordinary. So 
uh, going back home and just it felt a bit like going like back a few a few months, which was uh, yeah, pretty weird. But it was so nice to see friends and family and stuff. I mean, it's always nice to see folk, and then when you haven't seen people in uh, in nine months, then they're uh, extra happy to see you, which is great. Yeah, but you can only touch elbows. Yeah, <laughs> that's the strange thing with the family because I went back not long after oh, yeah. you actually. So yeah, it was it, it sent a lot more Orwellian than it has been here. Yeah, and like you said, two months behind. One thing that I wonder about quite a lot is how the situation is going to affect things like climate change, different ecosystems, that kind of thing. Because on the one hand, it's been pretty good, uh, as we saw with like nature almost repairing itself, water. Like dolphins swimming back up the, <laughs> yeah. the canals. We've all seen the memes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, water being less contaminated and fewer emissions and stuff. But then on the other hand, I guess you've got the huge problem with like masks being ocean contaminants. And yeah. Yeah. I suppose there's this horrible feeling that people are going to be so bothered about recouping their losses that they're just going to not care about the environment yeah precisely what's your take on it i mean yeah in i think so in the first like few months of the pandemic then um like global emissions dropped and all the skies cleared up and things and it was it was really great but it was also not enough like there was this massive global slowdown like people were not doing anything and still the drop in emissions like wasn't yeah it wasn't enough to actually kind of like gets out of the small mess that we're, that we're in at the moment. Um, and yeah, I think something else that you see with the masks and stuff is just that like you, you do need plastics and things for like medical supplies. Like there's just places where you're never gonna like get rid of them. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's obviously important to kind of like try and get rid of it in, uh, in other places. But yeah, it was, it was a weird time because there was so much more awareness around it. Like people were really, I think they had the time to actually think about it and think of like how their own life slow, slowing down was having uh, having impact or how their own lives had been having an impact on the uh, on the planet. But then at the same time, all of these like big businesses or some governments and stuff were saying we need to scrap all of our climate targets because we just need to focus on the economy. This um, is the thing. And so there was this kind of like battle going on. I think at that time, and probably still is. It's such a shame as well because it was like the perfect reset mm. or the perfect time to, you know, try and reset stuff. And I think maybe at the start, people were probably more invested in making it happen. But then I think as it's gone on, I don't think anybody expected it to last this long yeah. effectively. So people just sort of sodded it off. Yeah, I think it's. I think it does depend where you are. Like, I think we do have quite a different perspective like being in being in Berlin where people have sort of in their like minds gone quite back to quite back to normal or quite back to like how it was before um but I spoke with quite a few people who are working in the US lately and because it's still such a big thing there then they're still really really seeing it as this kind of like this huge uh, huge reset so I think it really might also depend um where you are and I wonder whether if we go into more of a lockdown again in Germany, whether that'll kind of like bring things back uh, back up again. Yeah. So I should mention that Emma's the senior marketing strategist 
for Ecoligo. Indeed. Did I say that right? Yep. Good stuff. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> um, they enable business in emerging markets to invest in and promote the use of clean energy uh, and specifically solar, right? Have I got that right? Somewhat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please, please explain. <laughs> yeah, so we basically um, make solar projects in emerging markets uh, possible. So we are um, supplying solar energy to businesses there to help them grow sustainably. And we finance the projects through crowd investing. So we have a crowd investing platform called Equalego.investments, um, where people just like you and I, Ash, can <laughs> go and uh, invest in uh, in solar projects and get a good return while obviously uh, making a better future for everyone. Um, what's the benefits for, for companies, for example? Is it like a stamped seal of approval? These guys are trying to make a difference. It's obviously like, that's a nice to have, like the environmental aspect, but the problem for businesses in the countries that we work in, so we're working in like, uh, Ghana, Kenya, also a few countries in uh, Southeast Asia and Latin America. And the problem for them is that energy is super, super expensive. And of course, mostly it's coming from fossil fuels. Okay. So solar power is mad cheap. We can install solar energy systems on their businesses and then it lowers the energy costs, but it's also more envir environmentally friendly. So, I mean, a lot of the companies are like really trying to be more sustainable and it is a big thing for them. But in the end, I mean, if we're going to actually have a big difference, like if we're going to transform economies to be more sustainable, it has to work with um, the market essentially and it has to be the most cost efficient thing. And so, yeah, that's what we're doing. Nice. I think you should change your motto to solar panels, mad cheap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And now, so with a group of peers, you founded the Green Tech Alliance. Do you just want to tell us a bit about that? What the whole idea behind the, the Green Tech Alliance is? <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. So, um, yeah, this is a little uh, side project with a few great folks in the sustainable business community in Berlin. And, um, yeah, in the beginning of the pandemic, basically, we were seeing what we just talked about there, that emissions were going down, but it's just um not enough with like people stopping the behavior and that's also not what we should be asking for and from our own works so a lot of them are like founders of um of sustainable businesses from our own work we know that there are so many businesses out there that are essentially coming up with solutions to make like how we live as we do or like you know some slight differences uh, more sustainable and we just thought that this was the time to give them all of the support that they needed basically to really like drive that like sustainable boost uh, that we need. So we've set up the Green Tech Alliance, which is a network of environmentally focused businesses. So businesses whose main goal is to uh, combat some kind of aspect of, uh, of climate change. And we support them with just network in general, which is a huge thing. Also with uh, workshops and getting access to fundraising and uh, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, we just started it back in May, but it's already had a lot of success. I think we've got like 400 businesses in, on board so far. So, yeah. And how's it been starting up something mid-corona? Bit of a nightmare, <laughs> right? Um, I guess because it was like all online, then it was then it's kind of been all like all good. And it's also enabled us to have more of a global focus. We wanted it to be uh, to be a global initiative anyway. And then the fact that 
there's no barriers to that when everyone's just working online as uh, has really helped. Um, it was a bit weird starting something up with people and then only all meeting together for the first time, like a couple of months into actually doing it. Cause yeah, it was like, Shit, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah right. we couldn't actually like meet at that time. So yeah, that was, that was definitely weird. And it will be so nice when we can actually do things uh, offline. But yeah, in the end, it's a kind of, it's like a, a, a an online thing. So it's actually been okay. And mm. um, where did the idea come from? It was driven by uh, Lubomila Jordanova, who is the founder of Plan A, a Berlin startup. Um, I think she's the one that really had like the idea to uh, to start the alliance in in the first place. Um, and I essentially got involved because I had a, a similar idea that that basically network was one of the really important things that had helped Ecoligo and helped us to grow and become more established and just kind of get more access to um, yeah to different resources. And I felt that something like that was was needed to support the all the sustainable businesses. So I was just chatting to her about that on the on the phone one day, and she said, "Oh, that's that's great because I've had the same, I've had the idea, and I've already uh, started up." So yeah, that was how I got involved, and she's definitely driving it a lot. And is it classed as an NGO, or is it a like a properly certified business? Um, we are setting it up as a gay GmbH. Oh, <laughs> snazzy. So it's basically going to be a non-profit. Right. Yeah, exactly. And have you had to deal with any of the bureaucratic stuff yourself? Or have you managed to palm that off on some other un- unlucky <laughs> bastard? Yeah, it's, I, think it's, I think it's coming. I think it's in the works. I have, uh, I have seen that it's going to be quite a lot of work. I'm not really like looking forward to it. But I'm also hoping, hoping, considering that all of the others are, or basically all the others are um, founders and have already done it themselves, that um, maybe I can take Tap on some other knowledge, tasks yeah. <laughs> and they can do that part. It, it sounds great. Sustainability as a topic is definitely something that is very prevalent, both in society and my mind, especially now I'm churning out so much bloody ice cream. Um <laughs> Because I've, I've yeah, is this a vegan, right? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. Um, but this is it, right? I stopped drinking or eating dairy quite a while ago now. Mm. But obviously, for the ice creams, it's just so much better. So I've been trying to source product from local. Uh, local dealers and what have you, local farmers or whatever. Mm. And I found a place actually not too far out of Berlin, uh, but I'm just bone idle. So then when everything got shut down, I just never followed up on it really hopefully this will take off and places will look to source me instead so if there's any farms in the berlin area <laughs> looking for a shout out hit up flicks and scoops i guess um yeah i guess this, like you kind of need to have a bit of scale right to be doing those things or could you just i don't know cycle out there and get some this is it i could easily just go out there and get some <laughs> just go out there find a cow <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's more like small local farms that don't produce anything to any sort of vast quantity. Mm-hmm. So then they just sell it from their own farm shop or something oh, like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's ideally what I would like to do. Yeah. I joined a cooperative just, yeah. before, just before Corona. It's called FC Shinka. Have okay. you heard of it? So basically um, the produce that you buy from farmers, you usually have to buy in bulk to make it worth their while to sell mm. it to you but with this cooperative you pay whatever five a month i think it was with however many other people yeah and then you just make a huge shopping list that 
you know, usually maybe I only want four apples in a week. Yeah. But if there's 20 other people who also want four apples in a week, then we can buy a bushel from a farmer. Mm. So it works like that. So you basically like add all your products together. Yeah. And then the farmers will will come in and, and sell it to you. Yeah, you should definitely look into it again. Like there's a few, there's quite a few different options. Like I used to have this veggie box thing that was like off the, it was, it was made up of the sort of like ugly veg and then it would get sent to your house. But it was still, it was still like quite expensive. And a lot of it would be things just like a lot, like in, in the summer it was good, but in the winter it was a lot of like roots. Like a lot of roots. Ah, okay. <laughs> and after a point, I was just like, this is shit because I'm actually just creating a lot of food waste because like I'm not I'm not massively picky, but I'm still just like, oh, I don't really want to cook all of these roots all the time. There's only so many beets one person can eat. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> eat exactly. Them. Exactly. I think that's the thing. I think if it was for if if you were doing it like with if I was doing it with my flatmates or whatever, or yeah, if you're doing it with somebody else, then it would be a bit different. Anywho. Uh I should give a bit of background on the ice cream that we've Oh yeah. Yours yours are looking pretty melty right now. (laughs) Dogging too much. (laughs) So we've got a mushroom and spiced nut ice cream because Emma chose midsummer. Mid midsummer? Midsummer? Mid yeah, midsummer, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's the first sort of savoury ice cream that I've made. And I don't even like mushrooms. Yeah. But but, but I thought I can't do a midsummer ice cream and it not be not be mushrooms. Not be mushrooms. Yeah. Ash, Ash handed me this massive bowl and then he had like the tiniest little <laughs> teaspoon scoop on his own. <laughs> well, I wanted to be there in spirit with you. Yeah, fair enough. Very fair. And yeah, it's great that you made it even though you don't like it. So it's chanterelle mushroom and the spiced nuts are called heta mm. yeah, yeah, you'll have to excuse my crappy Swedish pronunciation but I did what ask about? It's great. I did ask her last at work and uh, I'm sure that's what she said <laughs> <laughs> what is a Heta Nuta? it's uh, it's a traditional snack for midsummer festivities right. so it's different, few different nuts like almonds cashews sunflower seeds and then mixed in a bowl with honey balsamic vinegar and a like a chilli dressing Ooh. and then roasted nice so I guess that they would eat it as a bowl of nuts. Yeah. But I think it works okay in the, in the ice cream. Yeah, it works really well. I'm not a huge fan of the ice cream. How is it for you? <laughs> I really like it. It was weird. The first um, the first scoop was pretty weird. Just like having that very faint mushroom taste. Mm. Um, but the nuts are like, yeah, that's really good. They're really like sweet and it's like a good, a good texture as well. Yeah, I'm a fan. It has been 90 years since our last great feast. And it will be 90 years before our next. And what poetry that it's now the hottest and brightest summer on record. We already have so much to give back. And so, without any further blathering, let's raise our glasses. And let our nine-day feast commence. Skål! Skål! First up, are you a flicker or a scooper? I am a scooper. Wait, sure. and you answered it with no back chat, which which <laughs> is great for me because usually I always get shit for the wording of the question. <laughs> so you prefer ice cream to films? Yeah. Um, well, no, I wouldn't say. I think I eat ice cream more than I watch films. Mm. Like 
films are probably like a richer experience, but ice cream's more, you know, it's just there. <laughs> Summer or winter, all year round. Especially here. Yeah, so much. I do it's love like the biggest, that it keeps going in winter. Biggest clues in the summer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you get an ice cream, do you prefer it in a cup or a cone? Obviously a cone. Obviously a cone. Yeah. I mean, it's sustainable, isn't it? Like, oh. it's literally it's edible packaging. But even before, like, I gave a shit about that. I mean, it's just it's just like more stuff to eat. Okay, very on brand. I'll yeah. give you that. Yeah, yeah. You? Uh, I prefer a cup. Oh. Okay. I, only because I think you get more. So it's it's more of a greed thing. Uh, okay, got it. But it's a good point about the, about the sustainable packaging. Yeah. Thankfully, there's quite a few places now that do the... It's not like recycled plastic, but biodegradable. Spoons. You mean the cone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the spoons and the the biodegradable cups, right? Yeah, yeah. You've been to an ice cream store, yeah, surely. <laughs> Hopefully, and when you do go to an ice cream store, yeah, say you've got one scoop to pick. Mm-hmm. What what flavour you picking? Salted caramel. For sure. Salted caramel. Yeah. And why is that? Just great. Just like it's like this. It's like the sweet, the salty. Mm. Basically, just like. Chanterelle mushroom and uh, not gonna say it. Yeah. <laughs> Dare I say salted caramel? Maybe even a little bit Scottish. Ooh, yeah, that's it. Because I have only got into it in the last few years, and I do tend to get a bit more kind of like nostalgic uh, for a Scottish thing. So I guess so. Fudge? Uh, no, not fudge. Tablet. That's what we're about. Tablet. That's what we're about in Scotland. What's yeah. that? Shortbread or? No, it's... <laughs> wow. No, no, I don't know tablet. <laughs> Pray it's, tell. It's basically like hard, like harder fudge. So it's like fudge, but in, it's kind of like a bit, it's like really solid. Mm-hmm. It's essentially just butter and sugar. Okay. Um, which I think is what fudge is, but it's just like more, yeah, it's more solid. Is ice cream usually a snacker choice at the cinema? Um, I think I actually used to go for popcorn at the cinema. Yeah. Salted or sweet? Both. A mix. Both a mix. Yeah, it's a theme, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it would seem that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but do you not get annoyed with just the amount of popcorn that you have to eat? Uh, not really. No, I can just kind of like keep, yeah, keep going. Are you a grazer? Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, huge grazer. Would it last the whole film or would you eat it before the trailers were up? Yeah, no, as long as, I would just like keep on eating until it's like, until it's gone. Unless it was like something like scary or grotesque going on i'm pretty sure i wasn't what eating popcorn during this film and then you do the whole whoa where you throw the popcorn <laughs> over your head it's yeah but i always go jump. to my left so it like goes on someone else <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> and do you go to the cinema often not really not no. really i'm actually like not um not a big film person Okay. Got my uh, a little bit of imposter syndrome being here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, li- I like to have a cross section of people, be they wrong or right. Um, <laughs> do you watch a lot of films at home though, or just not that into it at all? Yeah, I'm just I'm like yeah, just more of a more of a book person, I would say. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Uh, and why did you choose Midsummer? I think it's just a, a film that like stuck in my head for so long. I think it's so like, artistically, it's amazing. It's the fact that it's all shot in the light and yeah, they managed to make it so like unsettling. Uh, I think it's really great and it is funny and there's just so much, there's so much going on in it. Like there's so many like scenes and so many kind of little like twists and ways that they're like relating to other things in the, in the movie that you can talk about. So yeah, it was just quite a straightforward choice. 
Okay. And do you remember the first time that you saw it? Uh, yeah. It was in the Noise Off uh, on Hermannstrasse. And it was like around the time of Midsummer, like it was when it had just come out. And so the people who were working in the cinema had dressed up and they were wearing like the the kind of like white Swedish robes and the flower crowns and stuff. And when you came in, they like said hi to you in Swedish and stuff. So yeah, it was quite a good entry into it. Me too. <laughs> exactly the same. We probably missed each other like in showings maybe we or whatever. Maybe were even in the same one. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but it's my favourite cinema in Berlin. Yeah, it's a great one. I love yeah. it. Super comfortable seats. Yeah. It's good tiering. Yeah, good size seats. in general. How many times have you seen Midsummer since? Do you watch it a lot or? No, I've actually only seen it like once since then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a big like movie watcher in general. And then because I don't watch that many, then like I don't really watch them twice much because I'm just like, well, I want to see something else. <laughs> um, but no, I actually watched it again in uh, in preparation for doing this, like earlier in the in the summer before the before the corona scares. Um, and I so basically I, I'm not a big horror I know it's not a horror movie technically to like in real terms but like for me uh, I'm not a big horror movie person at all and like the whole thing I think because it's in daylight is fine but the beginning sequence was like quite like I found it quite tough and uh, basically I was like, oh, I need to watch this. Like, like I just want to rewatch it so I've got it a bit more fresh in my head. And I started watching it and it was like at night, I was on my own and I started to watch it on the projector in our flat. And I was just like, I actually can't do this. <laughs> and I was texting my friend and, and she's just like, yes, you can. Like, it's absolutely fine. And you've even like seen it before. But I just gave up and I watched it with breakfast the next day when it was light outside. And how was it at breakfast? More manageable? Or? Yeah, much more manageable. I think my flatmates might have thought it was a bit weird. Um, Projector at eight in the morning, <laughs> mid- midsummer. Just like, it's just, you know, not your usual breakfast content. Um, but yeah, it was it was great watching it the the next time around because it had been quite a while. And then, yeah, yeah I think you just sort of, you always notice so many more things when you watch something for the second time. Has it had an influence on your life at all? Uh, I think it made me feel like a, I could watch again not a horror movie but horror movies because <laughs> because uh, i hadn't been like so uh terrified and i've had a lot of like great conversations about it but i'm not sure it's really changed the way that i live my life mm. has it changed your life not the way that i live my life no but i edited a short film about a guy about a doctor who was working in the 60s 70s and he used to treat bands uh, like Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd. He was the first doctor in London who was giving out medical marijuana. Oh, cool. And I found an old BBC interview that he'd done in the 60s and he's wearing like a proper Sergeant Pepper's suit and stuff. So I tried weaving in elements of those trip visuals mm. into the edit. Not to as good an effect. But did it go well? Yeah, yeah I, th- I think it worked out better than I expected actually. Yeah. There's this weird thing called Google AI, I think it's called or something. And basically you, you upload a picture mm. and it finds pictures within the picture. It's super trippy. So like you upload one still of yeah. a film and it'll find a bird, uh, a sloth, whatever, animals or patterns or whatever. That's mad. So then what I did was, I, I mean, it was a pretty painstaking process, but I took a still from 30 seconds of film yeah, and just uploaded each still to the 
to this Google AI. Yeah. And then when you put them together as a sequence, it looks like the animals are sort of moving and the screen's sort of tripping in and out. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's one of the things I think they've done, like, so, so well uh, in this film. It's just the, like, the visuals in terms of it just looking a little bit trippy because it's not, it's not like, obviously there's the mushroom scene in the beginning where it's kind of, like, a lot more obvious because it's obviously, that's more of a, a, a part of, like, the narrative at that point. But then later on there's just so many points where they've just like drank a little bit of this or drank a little bit of that and then things are just very subtly moving and it's it's like yeah I think it's I think it's really really well done that's what I enjoyed about it the subtlety yeah because usually in films if you've got a scene when they're doing drugs or tripping they just go totally overboard with Mm. it Um, and I was a little worried when the grass started growing out of her hand, I was just like, oh, here we go. Yeah. But then it proper mellowed out and it was just really, like you say, subtle hints of, you know, the background moving, the wind, whatever. And I think it just worked proper well. What's your favourite scene? Um, I think that one of the most important scenes or like interesting scenes is um, the one where the old couple jump off of the, the cliff. It's definitely not my favourite to watch, but I think it's just like this really like key scene in the movie where it's just, it's like so shocking. Like you kind of know the whole time what's going to happen. Like you get that feeling of like, okay, this is, they're, they're going to jump off. Like you can just, you can, you can see it. And that, and that's obviously like also the feeling of the, all of the American tourists that are, <laughs> that are there watching it. But I think also just the, the visuals and that, how everything's just so kind of like white and dusty and the way everyone's just like standing and they're so into the, like they're so kind of present in what's going on. Um, yeah, I think it's really like a very dramatic scene in, uh, scene in that case. Yeah, the, the colour contrast and it makes it really visually arresting. Yeah. I, I think it really worked to good effect there. And yeah, I think there's a, there's, there's a lot of really great ones. There's also one of my favorite scenes is the one where they're sitting at the table and I think they've are they've basically like pissed people off already to this point. They're all like half of them are already dead. <laughs> and they've basically just started like annoying folk a lot. And then um is it Mark that gets like taken away by the like hot Swedish girl and he's just like, oh I'm off to like go and have some fun and like they just don't even and and the, and Josh is missing as well, and they just are kind of like they're just behaving very stupidly, like they don't actually know what's going on. And Christian is like drinking this, uh, like his drink, which is obviously a different color to everyone else. There's like he's eating a pie that's got like a pube in it, <laughs> like all these like it's like this kind of so many weird things are are going on, and they are just kind of acting a little bit oblivious to it. And I I think that was like one of the like funniest scenes because they're also just all acting like kind of like little kids mm-hmm. all the boys they're just they're, they're kind of all grumpy and they don't really want to be there anymore and which character do you relate to if any um oh i've added a, a like a sub point to this question if there's yeah. not a character that you relate to is there anything about the film that you would relate to your life Ooh. 
I think maybe like I think if 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 I was gonna relate to any of the characters, then it would probably be like uh, Pelly actually. I, like I feel like the puppet master. Yeah, I feel, I feel I don't. I'm not a puppet master at all, but definitely coming from the the idea that it's not a film and it's a you know a real scenario, you can't tell whether they planned to kill them all or whether they just sort of were so badly behaved that they killed them all. Um, and so you can't tell whether Pelly is somebody who was bringing them all in just to kill them, which doesn't really seem like the case. It seems like he genuinely thought that they could benefit from like seeing something a little bit different or like seeing a kind of like a different side of, um, side of life. And then they just happened to be shit and get killed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I think in that way I could relate to him as kind of liking to bring people into um into different situations and he also just seems I think I just like to think that I would relate to him because he seems like the least arseholy of them okay. of them the enabler the, yeah I'm an enabler there you go <laughs> um yeah what about you is there like is there a part of it that relates to your own life or is there a part of uh, not of to it? my not to my life no but probably if I was to relate to anyone it would be Mark, the Joker, the most the uh, most punchable face of <laughs> as I've heard. Probably quite accurate, right? <laughs> um, no, but I think because he he reacts to the Haga with detachment mm. to the whole situation, and I suppose the only reason being is that I've been in a similar situation myself before because I used to live with a really devout Christian. Mm-hmm. me and a couple of mates went with her to church once and it was like a new age christian church where it's not about sermons and stuff it's all singing and happy clapping blah 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 yeah and there was a couple of exchange students over from america mm. and they they invited us back up to their flat after the service we went out got some food some drinks went up to their flat we all hold hands and we're gonna pray together and i want I mean, there was me and two other friends. They said, I want you to tell us if you if you feel anything. Close the eyes and they're like, God, thank you for putting us in touch with these people, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Two, three minutes of, of him talking and then we open our eyes and goes, okay, so did you feel anything? It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt so bad because I, I genuinely wanted to yeah. for his sake. Yeah. But Could you not have just said it for his sake though? Is honest, that worse? Yeah, fair. So Ari Aster has called it a dark comedy. Would you agree? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've been calling it horror, but I know it's not technically a horror film. Like it is, there are horrific moments. Um, But it is, yeah, it's very funny. For me, it kind of feels like a a bit more of a like new-ish genre, like a new type of horror comedy which has gone completely the opposite direction of like the typical like really dumb horror comedies rather to these like very very intelligent movies that are a social commentary but are also very funny and also pretty horrific at the same time Mm. which Um, I guess you can condense to to dark (laughs) dark comedy I don't really think it straddles the line that well and I think the point's when it was trying to be funny, it was just over the top. I mean, the one that sticks out for me is when the the older woman at the end 
during the mating ritual. Yeah. Shoves his ass harder into her. Yeah. And when I first saw it, I did laugh. I was like, huh, but then thinking back, it's like, okay, basically he's in a scenario where he's getting raped. Is it questionable? Yeah, this is, yeah, that is um, quite problematic. Because if you had that scenario the other way around, then it would just not be okay on yeah. so many levels. And so, yeah, that raises the question, like, why is it okay um, if it's a guy in that position? And, yeah, why is that then kind of being used for, uh, yeah, for comedy? Yeah. Do you what? think he's trying to bring that up? Like, the that it's, uh, yeah, basically that it is problematic, or do you think he is just using it for comedy? Good question. I would... Uh, more on the side of I think he was using it as as humor. Yeah. But who to say? I looked through a few interviews that he'd done and stuff, and he didn't mention it. So yeah, I can only assume that it was for comedic effect. But who knows? The one thing that I did find funny, and again, maybe I missed the joke the first time I watched it, but when she's dancing around the maypole at the end. Yeah. And she understands the Haga language. Like, oh, oh I understand yeah, yeah, yeah. you. And the first time I saw it, I was like, oh well, this is bullshit, isn't it? Like, <laughs> No, she doesn't understand him. But then I realised the second time around, I was like, oh, she's talking absolute bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. She's just <laughs> she's just talking total nonsense. Yeah. So do you think there's issues with the use of Reuben? Uh, yes, definitely. I mean, I think the question there goes to, like, why does the Oracle have to be like an inbred child who is physically disfigured. Like that's not, um, it just doesn't seem necessary. And you also think like, who's making the design for that? Like who's the one who's actually like making that, that mask? Like what are they modeling that, that off? It's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, definitely pro problematic. Like they could have done something like, I don't know, had like, uh, young child or like or like an orphan child or something where it would have brought the same idea of them doing something weird like maybe they had like killed the parents or, or something like that i think i kind of got the idea behind it about eugenics and it being pure blood of an absolute pure race but then yeah the, like you said the whole plot point to me seemed totally unnecessary yeah um and then also yeah playing into the fact that they've got probably an able-bodied kid with, yeah. a ma with a mask on playing yeah. a disabled kid. It's like, yeah. Oh, That's something I read. Like, I also read a few a few interviews. Like, he, Ari Aster was saying that he uses imagery that, he, that like, scared him as a child. So, like, they, yeah, then you kind of wonder if that's relating to that some, somehow. I don't know if that's always the, the case. Yeah. Or maybe it's just the gore thing. So there's readings of the film that suggest it's an allegory for the rise of the far right and others that see it more as exemplifying the need for codependence. <laughs> does one... <laughs> just a small question there. <laughs> uh, does one or the other resonate more with you? Um, very good question, Ash. <laughs> uh, so in the beginning, I think the, like, the codependence thing is it, just more clear, right? Like they are in a horrible relationship um, where, like, so that's, yeah, Danny and Christian, where they're obviously not right for each other at all and they should have broken up in the first place. Then 
her whole family tragically dies and obviously then he can't break up with her and she's also kind of like suffering with this total loss of her uh, of her family so she also doesn't want to break up with him um and so they're like completely codependent and then they that just shows all the time like they go into this uh place where they are really obviously offering like a completely different model of what like life and sort of family structure and relationships and things can can be so they have a completely different um idea of it but still they're always like checking in with each other and very much sort of like showing that that codependency um and I think that's just much more clear in the beginning and I think it's also there's also a really interesting aspect throughout the film which is like in line with that is like the sense of claustrophobia that goes through it like they are so kind of dependent on each other that they're just enclosed in this little bubble and then they bring that to their group of friends because they she also then like comes to Sweden with them and then they arrive in this place which is completely free and all outdoors and stuff and then they can't actually leave and will probably get murdered so then <laughs> there's just this like this extra extra aspect of uh, of claustrophobia so that's that's what stuck out to me in the beginning and when I read that question I was like, oh, of course, like everything is a rise. <laughs> it's an allegory for the rise of the far right. Um, but then actually when I thought about it, it does make sense because she has so much instability all of a sudden and so much uncertainty. And then she's like clinging to Christian. It doesn't like, it's not like that relationship is not good for her at all, but she's just like this completely sort of like passive player. Um, and then she ends up, going on this like on this trip and not really like just letting herself be kind of like taken along by things and then suddenly she goes somewhere where she has this like sense of belonging and she has those like those conversations with Pele where he's just talking a lot about family and and yeah and belonging and then in the end she becomes completely complicit and ends up burning her boyfriend in a bear suit <laughs> um and I, I think you could tie that to the rise of the far right in terms of the fact that people are feeling sort of uncertain and a lot of instability and then find something where they can really identify with it and they feel like they have belonging and um yeah end up acting in ways that they probably wouldn't have in the beginning that's a good thing about film being so subjective yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, i did cheat a little bit because i've read or listened to a couple of interviews with ari aston he's he specifically said that's what it was. In terms of what I asked him was saying about it, like, is that also the narrative that he was trying to build in terms of her feeling that uncertainty and then feeling belonging, or was it something different? I mean, obviously, the the codependency was a big thing, but with it being the the far right, it was even little things like when they drive in, there's a banner that's anti-immigration and all that kind of stuff. So I think it was also commentary on the state of Sweden at the time mm. and, and that kind of thing. What did you think about it before? You read those. Like, did you see that from it the first time? Before I read those, I wouldn't necessarily have said it was Sweden specific, but I think just the just the fact that it was so obviously whitewashed was probably yeah. the, the, the biggest impact that it had on me. And yeah. especially because it's in, you know, Trump's America. Mm. So I saw it more of a, a rise of fascism. Yeah. Rather than, you know, the state of Sweden. Yeah. I guess also the fact that they're 
like yeah they're they're sort of behaving badly when they're when they're there or like some of them but it is also just like a cultural thing like they just they sort of not being culturally sensitive but they also don't really know like everything there is just there's just all these rituals like they're not they're not given like a guidebook of like <laughs> how not to piss off the elders <laughs> they're just kind of like whispered like oh this is where we're doing this or this is like go go there go here they're never told like this is the this is the agenda and this is what's like this is what's going on and so it's really implicit and I guess like people are expected to like integrate in different countries but you there's no there's no kind of idea how because the culture is like so implicit I think. Do you reckon you would have stuck around or would you have tried to get the hell out of there? Uh yeah that's um I think if I I think it really would have gone in one of two ways like I would have got the feeling that I was going to die there and I would have run as fast as I could through the woods probably to little avail but would have given it a shot um or I would have just got completely into it I had a great time been the ma- been the main queen when I was forced to <laughs> jump off a cliff <laughs> 72 sorry but I think the film does quite well to brainwash you, almost, into... You're saying I'm brainwashed? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying I'm brainwashed. I was I was right there with it. Yeah. Because um, it, it highlights the shortcomings of society. Yeah. People being blinded by their own selfishness. Like, you were talking about the, the Americans being just totally oblivious to yeah. what's actually happening. And it also shows people wanting to fit in through not wanting to offend other people mm. which i think is probably quite relevant you mean, do you mean by like because there's all of these rituals which are objectively pretty out there like people jumping off the cliff or just even the kind of like the yeah the smaller things that they that they do are there's just a a lot which is very very different and pe- and they keep having conversations between themselves like the the americans like they keep saying like oh we are the the ones who are visiting oh just keep saying oh well this is their culture they probably think that what we do is also weird um just go along with it yeah but then to the to the Haga, they're all like, "Oh yeah, we're so sorry that this book went still got stolen." Blah, oh blah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's like... Oh, but that was just. But I mean, like the portrayal of Christian's character is just like this really hateable guy. It was so I feel like that was kind of like a pinnacle of it, like the fact that it was his mate, and he was just like immediately there to just say oh no we didn't know him at all we've got nothing nothing to do with him at all yeah is it a happy ending how much did you not like christian (laughs) (laughs) for me it was a great ending but purely for the fact that he's an absolute fucking beanbag Uh, (laughs) (laughs) he'd lost me in the in the first 20 minutes like oh hey yeah i'm just gonna go to this party for 45 minutes (laughs) <laughs> what absolute sap <laughs> goes to a party for 45 minutes so after that I had no time for him I was like yeah getting bunned the thing is he's just shit to everyone like either be a good like partner girlfriend boyfriend whatever or be a good mate and he's just like shit to all of them like he's just like kind of just like very blah to her 
but not in a way that she can ever really like just a very passive aggressive way not in a way that she can actually like pinpoint and say like you're being a dick um and then also to his mates like he's just sort of there and then he just always brings her and then she's just also like also there um so yeah you're right he's a he is a beanbag <laughs> such a great term um and yeah and then I think there's just all of all of like the ways like he just he just has no doesn't think for himself at all and there's the and like that's completely developed with the way that he is just like copying his mate's um thesis but like completely shamelessly like he just doesn't seem to think that that's wrong at all to just like steal somebody else's ideas and then sort of blackmail them into doing it with you um and then also yeah when when uh he then like steals the the book or well i guess he doesn't in the end (laughs) (laughs) he tries bless him (laughs) yes um and yeah he just completely sort of like renounces him so there's some and then also with this thing he know like he knows that they're trying to give him like a love potion basically and he just sort of goes along with it but i think he also doesn't really have it fully like he doesn't eat the pew he's just kind of going along with things all the time uh and so i think that then he ends up being burnt in the house in the bear suit like it makes sense (laughs) Do, do you think his treatment of danny warrants him being Burnt alive in a bear suit. I would never say that anyone's anyone's treatment of anyone warrants them being burnt alive <laughs> in any sort of suit. Um, and yeah, it's quite a brutal end. You know, it's quite a it's quite like strong revenge. But yeah, faced with that decision, sending somebody who you don't know, as opposed to sending somebody who you do know and is an arsehole. <laughs> to that situation yeah maybe I would have done what she would do what would you have done Christian or the Haga and you have to choose you've got to choose yeah Christian the term gaslighting gets thrown around quite a lot in relation to it yeah do you think it is gaslighting I kind of get the impression that you think he's just a clueless bystander what is as in is like he gaslighting her yeah yeah, I don't think that he does it in any sort of like malicious way. Like I think there are different types of gaslighting. And I think there's like gaslighting which is very much in a way of like people who are quite strategic and like know what they want and know how to get that. And even if they don't even if they're not doing it so consciously, they still kind of understand that if they make you think that your opinions aren't really valid, then they'll get what they want. And then I think there's the other kind of gaslighting that Christian is doing where he's just sort of like not really in a situation that he wants to be in, but he's got no drive to like get himself out of that situation. And so he's just a bit like, yeah, he's he's just passively, passively doing it as like a bit of a way to get what, what like he wants. Right. Um, And I think that's also amazing, like sort of turn for for Danny like whether whether he deserved to be burned or not where she's just finally decided to stop apologizing to him all the time because I mean that's like that's the thing that's where he like gaslights her like she he's just maybe he's just used to her being like by his side all the time 
Mm. Maybe that's kind of it. And he just like knows how to get her to do that. But yeah, I think it's a great turning point when then she's like, okay, no, I'm done with this. I'm going to stop. <laughs> I'm going to stop. Uh, off, you, off you fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stop apologizing to you for forgetting, for you forgetting my birthday and be in the fire. It was good because I finally looked up where the term gaslighting comes from. Okay. Because I, I was totally unaware. Do you know where it comes from? Um, I have, I, like, I do a bike. I don't remember it. It's from a play which was later made into a film with Ingrid Bergman where a husband slowly convinces his wife that she's mad by messing around with the gaslights. Yeah. So I haven't seen it. I should probably watch it, actually. But I think she turns them on and then he goes around turning them off and he's like, what are you talking about? You never turned them on in the first place. Yeah. Um, so that was useful to have a bit of pop culture <laughs> knowledge. Do you, uh, you know Roald Dahl's The Twits? Mm-hmm. That's actually just just thinking that that's actually just a tale all about gaslighting. They I don't, just gaslight each other constantly. Do you do you remember this? I story? don't remember it that well. My favorite was always George's Marvelous Medicine. Oh, that's oh, that is a really good one. <laughs> um, but no, basically one of them is trying to piss the other one off or make them scared of like of something, and they essentially gaslight them by making them think that they're getting shorter by like taking little bits off of their walking stick right, and little bits off right. of like, their chair and, the, and stuff like that. And then the other one, like I think the other one realizes and then switches it around and like does the same thing and starts putting like worms in their, um, in their spaghetti and like, and that kind of stuff. Great reference. Yeah. Love so, it. Yeah. I think you should read it again with the, <laughs> with that in mind. New knowledge. So it's come to that time of the evening where we rate the film out of five. And usually a film gets rated by five stars. Not today. <laughs> We're rating it out of five scoops. Five there will be no there will be no denominations, there'll be no points, no halves, no quarters. They've got to be full scoops. Ooh. So you're gonna give midsummer. Emma Patmore is gonna give midsummer. I'm gonna give it a four out of five. I would agree. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I would have given it a four and a half if I hadn't had such strict rules. Get to fuck. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I do think it is like it is a really great film, and I will happily watch it again, even if I'm not only only at breakfast. Even if I'm not that much. Yeah, only in the light though. Only in the light. Um, (laughs) It was actually good watching it the second time around because there was all the bits that I hadn't seen in the first time that I got to see the second time because the first time I'd had my hands over my face. (laughs) (laughs) So like the whole like murder-suicide scene, I hadn't actually properly watched the first first time. Well, at least you got the full juice out of someone having his head caved in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, also the, the, the barn, the like wings scene that I hadn't seen the first time. All of that is actually based on actual Viking torture methods. No so way. they used to hang people up with the with their skin and what have you. Yeah. Oh God. Well, that's all. That's all we've got time for. And by time, I mean my patience. 
Uh, <laughs> where can we find this Green Tech Alliance? Do you want to shout out your socials and give us a website we can visit? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, you can find it at uh, greentech.earth. We also, um, as a business alliance, we are mostly active on LinkedIn, so you can find us there. You should also, of course, follow Ecoligo, where you can find us on Instagram. That's a good place for that. Cool. And definitely check out the Green Tech Alliance website because there's a belting profile picture of Emma on there. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, man. Well, thanks so much for coming and doing this and I'll see you in the kitchen. thanks for having me. Ciao for now. Ciao. That's your lot. Head over to flicksandscoops.com to peruse my ice cream recipes and film musings and give at Flicks and Scoops a follow on Twitter and Instagram where you can see me trying to be witty and artistic. On the podcast next week, I've got the Berlin-based artist Carly Jean Dorrington who's on to talk about the film Buffalo 66, Ice Cream and Suminagashi. Suminagashi, what? Exactly. Don't forget to follow us on your preferred listening platform or you'll feel like a right tit if you miss it. Catch you next time. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Ice, 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 ice cream.